0: Good morning. I will be reading from Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You can find it in your bulletin. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, we're gonna finish up Jonah today. We've had a quick trek through the book. Next week, um, good friend of mine and leader in our denomination, Mike Higgins, who some of you may already recognize by the name as the father of Michelle Higgins, um, and he is in St. Louis, and he pastored me and Kelly for a short period in Atlanta. And he is the Dean of Students at Covenant Seminary and uh, also the pastor of South City Church. And you'll learn more next week because I think I'll probably say the same thing next week when we introduce him. But I'm excited about him coming. And then the week after that, um, we are gonna start in the book of Jonah. I mean, sorry, Daniel. Um, So Jonah has really set, I hope, much of the heart necessary to do what we'll see happen in Daniel and be people who are influential and and impact and engage our world in fruitful ways. Um, So as we finish Jonah today, we've seen him go from running from God's presence to being thrown off a boat and almost drowned swallowed and doing a three-day residence in the belly of a fish, spit up by that fish, and then restored by God to preach to Nineveh. And after he preaches, Nineveh goes re-repent, we're sorry mode, and the Bible tells us that God relents in judging Nineveh for its national and individual sins. And you might expect that Jonah would be celebrating in the streets, celebrating with what could have been his new, celebrating with who could be his new Assyrian brothers and sisters of the faith. Yes, you could expect to see Jonah coming along and maybe lead the Bible study or Sunday school to teach them what it meant to sustain Such newfound repentance and even arranging to send some friends from Israel to Nineveh to connect and share the spiritual wealth of relationship with God. You could expect such results, but our reading today tells us otherwise, doesn't it? Jonah goes outside the gates of the city and waits. He waits to see if God will still destroy Nineveh. And what we see is Jonah pouts and gets all in his feelings as he ain't feeling how God was sparing these Ninevites. I mean, it must not have felt so good to have God pardon a nation of people who might have killed your family members in war and were just waiting to conquer your whole country. A whole group of people, a nation who wanted to erase your heritage and religion and history and replace it with theirs, who live right next door to you. We're talking about people who thought they and their values were superior to you and yours and wanted to prove it by dominating and invading and enslaving you. Jonah could not completely get with what God was doing. Because though he was changed... And a better Jonah, like we saw last week after his fish experience, he was still an incomplete Jonah. He was not there. He was spiritually unfinished. He wasn't free, completely free, to enjoy God and all God was doing. After all he had been through and all God had used him to do mightily, we see a Jonah who is still growing and needing to grow in God's grace, have you ever felt like Jonah? Do you feel like him now? Not completely free to enjoy God, others, yourself, trust God, others, and yourself because you're trapped in these feelings where you're at odds with what God has called and caused to happen to and through you and around you when things don't happen the way you think they should according to your hurt, your sense of justice, and your personal desires. For those of us, most of us, probably all of us if we're honest, like Jonas, still growing in grace, here are three things that give us hope today from this passage. You and I can grow out of our feelings and into God's freedom first because God is sovereign. Sovereign over those growing in grace. Secondly, because God is the caretaker of those growing in grace. And finally, because God is the constant for those growing in grace. Sovereign, caretaker, constant. What is immediately clear from this passage from the beginning is that Jonah's feelings about the whole thing, hear me, does not. Determine the final outcome of the situation. It is clear that God is sovereign. Sovereign over and above Jonah's desire and feelings to see the city burn. Look at verse 4, 1 through 5. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Not a little bit. Exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to, to flee Tarshish. for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live." And the Lord said, "Do you do well to be angry?" You know why Jonah wants to die? Because Jonah believes in God's sovereignty. Isn't that ironic? Jonah wants to die because he realizes the only way he can escape this nightmare story of God getting along with Nineveh uh, is is to die because he even said it. You are sovereign, in, in, in lack of a better word, you are sovereign in your mercy, Lord. That is who you are. And how I feel about it won't change that. I am not in control. My anger ultimately does not inform or control your mercy for people like those in Nineveh. I knew you were going to be merciful, using me to preach to people I don't like, and you are a never changing God in the way you are, and this is the way you are, and I either have to live with that or not live. So I'd rather die. And even in his anger. Jonah proclaims the frustrating to him truth. Isn't this interesting? Again, He knows what's true. We are not in control. And our shortcomings in understanding God and what he's doing and why he won't change who he is, because he is sovereign over, I said, over those of us still growing in grace who have yet to get with his program completely. But guess what, y'all? God is going to go with his program. And Jonah, he got better after running and going through that fish, right? He ran God's unfavorable, no fun offense of grace. Archaic. He wanted run and gun, right? And he is angry, that and how it worked, and he is looking on the field for a late flag, right? Things looking like good for Nineveh. Wait, flag, no, God's gonna kill him, right? Something, waiting. You ever been in a football game and like the other team scores? And you're just looking on the field for a yellow flag. Sometimes I see yellow and it ain't even there. You've seen the surrender cobra where you're just sort of, the other team scores at the last minute and you're like, just hoping something changes, right? And that happens every now and then. Oh, the coach called a timeout before they scored. Ah, right? And then they still scored a second time. I think the Saints were looking for a flag, weren't they? Oh. Some team's looking for a new coach after the season. (laughs) We're not getting into that. And not only did this win, hear me, for God's sovereign grace and mercy feel more like a loss to Jonah, it had to be accepted as right to Jonah as well. Ooh, it gets harder. This last chapter in Jonah Last chapter, the th- chapter three, that's the feel-good one. This one, sometimes I'm like, why did they put this one in? Right? There's some reasons. We'll get to it. You ever notice that even though Jonah openly expressed to God that he didn't like how God exceedingly displeased, right, didn't like how God is handling Nineveh, that Jonah never says that God was wrong. He just didn't like it. Jonah wanted to die because God was and is always right. You know, sometimes, you know how marriage is. Some of y'all who are married, you argue and you fight and the other person turns out to be right in the end (laughs) and you just want to run, kind of like. See, me and Kelly, we have technological issues we always get in fights about. and She's trying to explain it. And I'm trying to tell her, I know, I know, I know. And she, and it works. And I just want to die. Because she's saying, see, right? I want to die. God's always right. We just don't see how. And this becomes much more, <laughs> oh man, I'm feeling Jonah. Because guess what, y'all? This becomes much more difficult to embrace when we learn that the same people, Assyria, Nineveh was the capital of that country, probably 20 or 30 years after God relents in destroying them through Jonah's preaching, get this, that same Assyria eventually conquers and makes Israel, Jonah's country, suffer. He let these Assyrians get away. He relented. He let these people grow up and get strong and destroy and have another generation of warriors multiply, right? And destroy his own nation of people. Man, it seems like God was wrong and Jonah was right. felt that in the way things sometimes play out? Y'all, the Bible says something that's sometimes comforting. When you're exceedingly angry, it doesn't always comfort. But you need to hear it. God's ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And above and over our feelings about why he relents to destroy and expose and take out and bring it in to what seems oppressive and off and wrong. And I know, as a person of color in this country, right? And some of you know, as women, right? And some of you know, as people who've struggled in poverty, this is a very hard thing to hear when you think about the history and movement and the way things happen. Why? I have to ask myself, like, remember, okay? If, if, if I will, I have to say this so that y'all don't think I'm like just harping on stuff, but if, if I was a white pastor, I'd have some culturally things that bothered me. So I'm sharing as what came off my mind. So I always go for the low-hanging fruit, remember? Oh, it's going to be about slavery or race. Yes, it is. Okay, moving on. <sighs> Sorry, it's still there. I got some grace to grow in. But I just wonder, when you think about Nineveh, why didn't God take out the slave-owning forefathers of this country? How did he let them build a nation on the backs of people that were treated like objects? How did they continue to own so much land? How did that continue to perpetuate a country of privilege that has yet to be overturned? How can major universities have thrived off of that and nothing have been done, right? Why did he take out the Third Reich and Hitler at the beginning? He had chances. I'm sure somebody was praying as the, you know, as, as the political campaign was going on in Germany at that time, thinking, please don't let this guy win. Please don't let the third right come into power. And they did. Why did he let radical Islam spread and pos- prosper? I mean, more recently, why, why didn't he cut the strings on the golden parachutes after the 2008 economic disaster? Why did he let the people who caused so much of the problems we're suffering with hit the ground and splat, right? Why did he let the food and health and financial industries keep cutting corners that hurt us? And the list goes on and on. Just think about where you are wondering why. God did not deliver a deadly blow to that or them. All those things in our personal and public lives that we question and get frustrated and angry and have brought up pain and suffering, but it all comes back here, doesn't it? The Lord is calling us to grow in our faith and out of our feelings by accepting and leaning into, and, and leaning into, guys. The sovereign mercy and rightness of God. And and when we do that, we will find that God is not some hard, get over that, you know, just grow up and deal with it. God had just accepted God. But a God that Jonah even describes, a loving caretaker for those of us growing in grace. Because people who feel like Jonah, like you and me, left in anger and anxiety and personal disappointment, need God to be a handler, a comforter, a caretaker for those of us suffering from what I would describe as a grace deficiency and a hate infection. I've been using the term growing in grace, and that fits Jonah and as well. Because Jonah actually believed in God's grace, didn't he? He knew God's mercy. The process of repentance and restoration changed him. Look at chapter 3. He believed in God's mercy and grace for himself and his people, for certain kinds of people and probably certain kinds of offenses and certain kinds of mistakes, but not for the people and kinds of things going on in Nineveh. Jonah was grace deficient. He had a deficiency of understanding God's mercy for sinners. It wasn't as as broad as, as, as it was for him. He believed God's grace and mercy was sufficient for his kind of sinner, but not the Ninevite kind of sinner. I mean, they have repented and turned to God, but he's still waiting. He built a little tent. A little lean two ten. He was going to sleep and wait to see it all go south because he didn't think God's mercy and grace was sufficient to spare them, at least not for long. And I stopped short of saying saved, but spared judgment that they deserve for at least mistreating God's people, each other, and even God himself. Who and what is it right now that you say to yourself, God's mercy and grace and love is not for them. Not until I get what I want out of it. Who you wish it could be withheld because it's too good for them. All of us end up there. We all want to be little gods. Judge and jury. Because this type of sinner, because we think this type of sinner thing is on another level. They're the most hurtful and cause the most pain and insecurity and fear amount. I trusted them or was in tr- trust with them. And my whole people group and gender is messed up because of people like them, like her, like him, like that. They deserve only judgment being set right by being told off and set straight and humiliated and embarrassed and demeaned and made to feel how they have made me feel, to have or or to have some moral emotional reparations for what they did. But God's mercy in reconciling them eventually is not right for them oh this is a hard one I know because you hear me preach equally on justice here's the truth and Jonah says it there is enough grace and mercy for them and that in verse 2 He describes God as one who abounds in steadfast love. That means he don't run out. It ain't thin. It's deep and wide and broad and always present for anything that can come up in our sin life. But the problem is, God's got enough, but there is not enough grace at work in us to believe it for others yet in that situation yet. So I'm just kind of slowly letting you know um, that it's not there yet with you. Lots of pain, lots of anger, lots of hate of the wrong and the person, but not enough grace to counter it, not only for them, but for our own freedom from it. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me, if you will. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now remember, he causes a plant to come up over him. He's sitting in the sun, right? And he causes a plant and come over his head to shade him and then he gets a worm to eat the plant and it makes Jonah even angrier. So let's let's, let's look at what he says here. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Because his plant is gone, his comfort is gone. And he said, yes, I do. Well, to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perish in a night. Now that speaks to God's sovereignty, right? You have something I did and I controlled and I made it grow in one night and killed it in the same night, man, right? And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? You know what Jonah was thinking? We have a chance to kill 120,000 at once, God. Or make a large number of them suffer for their evil. I mean, God you show up in Nineveh in dynamic presence and you lay an egg. You blink. You had a chance to dominate for God. For good, for the Bible, right? In that moment, by crushing them and your people feeling a lot more comfortable over in Israel and and secure, and then you let them off and party with them too. Really? We had our version of ISIS in one place. And you cease fire and again partied instead of bringing them to justice right away. So verse nine, Jonah is angry. As H-E double hockey sticks, y'all. Angry enough to die. Here's a rub, y'all. Our grace deficiency, our inability, now grace deficiency doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't only mean our ability to forgive others, right? But our ability to trust God who is merciful and good and loving, right? The deficiency of that belief. And we all have it somewhere. Our being in our feelings about wanting vengeance or our kind and timing and justice and fighting for ourselves has led many of us to be... now infected with anger, right? Not righteous indignation affected in a good way by, by now infected by it. What I would describe as unreasonable anger from potentially valid pain and suffering and hurt, that stuff will consume us. An anger that is unhealthy as a result of a lack of anti hate grace in our souls. Like Jonah, that kind of grace deficiency, lack of God's grace and trust for Him in our hearts for others, and then the growth of anger will deaden us. When Jonah says, I'm angry enough to die, he was right. Jonah sitting like that outside of God's will, out of what makes God, gave God pleasure to, to sit outside of that and pout and be upset with God, it will make him and us shrivel on the vine in our faith. It will slowly take the life out of living, right? We will be consumed by the hate and hold back grace and mercy for others, which is the same stuff. Hear me now, y'all. The same stuff we need to survive. This message that Jonah said that you're full of mercy and you're God—he talks about in verse two and three and four that, that whole bit where he's quoting scripture, basically, theologically correct. He went to Sunday school. That message is food for the soul of God's people on a daily basis. Okay, so this would happen. Will you stop believing that for others? you take that food out of your own plate. You share grace and mercy based on the sufficiency of God's grace in your heart and life. And so when you aren't sharing it, it means you aren't eating it. You can't say I'm filled with grace and God's good. I'm not, I'm all right, but I'm living in anger and hate towards God for what he did and what he didn't do and what he's doing over there and that person, right? No, what happens is you begin to be emptied by not having and living on the grace that that brought you to the faith. And let me tell you what you'll begin eating. Bitterness. And hate will become your food. And the reason that happens is because you're not sovereign. You're not the sovereign God. And we're gonna eat that when anger and disappointment with God become our food, right? It poison our, poisons our faith. You know what it does? Makes us die. See, Jonah's just telling what's going on. I want to die. It makes you die. And that is the vicious. I've been in it. I'm in it. <laughs> I know how it feels. Numbing. Obsessive. Trapping place. Many of us, like Jonah sat are sitting sitting waiting like a kid who won't eat their vegetables right waiting rotting waiting and sitting with the lord with a friend and with a spouse or our children, or our parents, or someone who's been our oppressor. We're just waiting, stewing in anger. And I know these things are complicated, right? So we need to preach the full counsel of God, and and we do. But this is the time to dig into this one. But what this passage in Jonah is teaching us is that we are sometimes incapacitated by anger and hurt, our ability to be and live free goes away when we don't share and know God's forgiving and reconciling heart for others. Not that justice is lost, but we don't get justice by holding unrighteous anger and hatred in our hearts, and not also, and, and, and also not longing for them to possibly be healed and helped and made right. But many of us want folks totally eviscerated and taken out. I Often say this: I'm glad y'all ain't God, right? Think if you were Thanos. <laughs> what's the problem? Some of us want the gauntlet the thing. The infinity gauntlet. Thanos had a good idea, didn't he? Ain't enough food in the world. Let's get rid of a third of the people. Half. Thank you, Kelly. Half. Oh, and he said, the world's a beautiful place now. Oh, he, you should, at the end of that movie, that man was right. Praise God, there's no Thanos in here. Half of y'all wouldn't be here. Here's the deal. Many of us want that, but here's the problem. When you finally get what you thought or felt you wanted, because you've emptied your plate of mercy, grace, and forgiveness, and trust in God when they're finally eviscerated, you still won't have the comfort you need. Because you forfeited it. And anger, hatred for God and what God is doing does not fill you. It only feeds on you. I mean, look at how Jonah describes God. He is slow to anger. Not that he doesn't get angry. We know that but his anger is informed and tempered and balanced by his holiness and slowed by, his, by, by his, the quickness and abundance of his mercy to reconcile people to himself, to be given another chance to come correct and to him. Yet we latch onto anger and self-care before mercy and we don't let grace slow us down and we get stuck in the angry gear and we find ourselves like Jonah on the outside looking in at God's freedom because we are so inside our own feet. So that's why we need a caretaker. It's those growing in grace because I don't know about y'all, Lord. I mean, y'all, people. We are not well. And we are not complete. Our grace, anemia, and hate infections are killing our faith and joy and freedom and peace. And it is almost like God has to take Jonah and take care of Jonah. Jonah. And you and me. Because we've become addicts of selfishness. Addicts of self-righteousness. Our own righteousness. And self-justification. And all in our feelings. And it makes us emotionally, spiritually dangerous to us and others. So it requires a caretaker like God. Yeah, the one who might, we might be angry with in the first place. To be in his place of embracing and loving folk like us. Stories on the news this week about kids who are because of trauma suffered or violent in their homes, particularly foster and adoptive homes. And they become dangerous to live with. And the story was that parents couldn't handle these kids and sent them to a treatment center. That the center wouldn't call the parents back, that the center, sorry, would call the parents back before the kids were ready and treated well enough to return and the parents would refuse to come get them can't have him. My other kids are in danger. I'm in danger. Do your job. Treat this kid. And they wouldn't even come and get him. One kid had to sleep on an ottoman because there weren't enough beds in the facility. Because no one wanted to take him and take him on like that. God is willing to take you on. He doesn't leave Jonah there, does he? He's the caretaker, a steadfast, loving caretaker to treat and deal with those who are an unfinished work of God's grace. There's a song I grew up with, a gospel song, had these words. Please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. We are God's patience." And God is being patient and caring for us through the anger we feel and the confusion in our ways for humans. Sometimes we get confused about what God's doing and we all get up into his thinking. I know what God's doing and this is what he should be thinking. And when you get up in God's mind, you start to this starts to be too much for you. And so like those kids who were abandoned, Jonah needed God as a constant and we need God as a constant for those of us growing in grace as the one who disciplines them and perseveres with them. Jonah sets up this tent outside the city to fume and pout and hope that things get bad for the Ninevites, that God's anger might speed up for them because they're bound to mess up again. And this happens. Look at verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I want to emphasize the presence of the same words used to describe the big fish back in chapter 2 that swallowed Jonah. Did y'all notice it? Same words that used to describe the plant, the worm, the scorching east wind, and I think the sun as well. And this is important. This word is appointed, right? It wasn't accidental appointed. That means God caused it to happen directly, right? And and this is important because once again, Jonah is struggling and God uses the elements, situations, circumstances for a purpose, to teach, to train, to change and shape Jonah's heart, y'all. So obviously the tent Jonah built was not enough to cover him from the sun, And I think that speaks again to us building things in our anger to deal with our feelings. Never enough to give us peace and comfort on our own. But God appointed a plan. God let Jonah know that the comfort and peace and joy he got to enjoy in life was by God's hand. Because God then appointed a worm and then a scorching wind and sun to show him that without my grace, you will die in emotional and spiritual misery. Listen, y'all. God brought hardship and discomfort into Jonah's broken thinking. Oh, I meant, I wish it was a better sermon this week on joyful, right? But he brought some hard stuff. discipline right to it means disciple that means to train his heart back by letting him see just how much he didn't get and appreciate god's grace for himself and letting him see and reveal just how hateful and dark his heart had gotten god's discipline but here's the good thing it wouldn't let jonah be okay in his feelings he was not going to let jonah live outside of his grace like that god appointed things in his life the fish Right To to let him see his anger and hunger and emptiness for God's love and grace he had in his disposition and disappointment to what God was sovereignly doing in Nineveh. I mean angrier about his one little tree of comfort being taken away than 120,000 being spared death. God revealed some real craziness in Jonah and some sadness about Jonah that God refused to let rot him. My doctor's like, we're going to have to check to see what's going on. Oh, I know what that means. Something painful is coming, right? We're going to have to take some blood. Dang, that means a needle, right? Right? And not only a needle, it means I'm going to have to go to that nurse, and sometimes they got some new nurses. Lord, have mercy. I mean, I don't have a lot of body fat and all, but it's it's still hard, Right? Them nurses, this is a, oh, I can tell I just finished the program. No. <laughs> now you put the needle in. I can't find that. No, you can't find it. You're killing me. No, it means the EKG. And the problem not with the EKG, I get it done every now and then. Put them sticky things on your chest, what you got here. Y'all. That's what I hate most about it. Second to having to sit there. And do the little standing and sitting. I hate that stuff. But without it, I might die. That means somebody's caring for me. The little bit of hair that gets ripped off, it's all right. Being patient with the needle moving person, it's not all right. God refused to let Jonah rot and he brought a little bit of pain to his life. If Jonah had been left to the soak and fume and dismiss grace, maybe eventually, hear how bad this could be. What if Nineveh did fall? That would have sealed Jonah's faith away from God. You know why? Because Jonah had been like, I was right. God, I was right. Thank you for following and listening to me. Jonah would have never learned God's grace like he needed to. And he needed to because 20 or 30 years later, his people were about to fall and they would have to lean on God's grace right It would have been disaster if Jonah got what he wanted. And guess what, y'all? For you to get what you want right now, what your feelings want, it could be disaster not only for you, but for the generation after you. Man, I think about if I had gotten what I wanted. Oh, Lord. Might not be a Christ Central Church. You know, God's salt in the wound is a stop-bleeding preservative for our faith. And motivation is smelling salts, not pleasant. For faith has been sitting and waiting and dying. Because in our self-centered, self-righteous, self-pitying state, we are slowly bleeding out and wasting away and rotting our faith to being completely useless to others. And like Jonah, wanting to die, eventually useless in this world for and to ourselves. And on the outside, looking in at a full and joyful relationship with God. In this moment, plant, worm, wind, and sun that angered Jonah. God wasn't trying to punish Jonah. He was seeking to persevere with Jonah and in doing so, preserve Jonah's faith through a very difficult time. You see, the Jonah and the fish was not was just the beginning of Jonah's being freed by God into the freedom of what it means to be the children of God. Do you see the progress and hope here of God keeping on Jonah? At first, when, remember chapter one, if you, if you missed it, and I missed it until I read my commentary, right? Chapter one, Jonah ran when God told him what to do, right? And he didn't like it. But this time, Jonah sat and though angry, he prayed to and pressed into the presence of God with his anger and misunderstanding instead of trying to run from it. Jonah's growing. He just wasn't done yet. A different and better Jonah was still not a finished Jonah, and God is promising to persevere and preserve us and staying with us to not let the lack of grace in our lives end our faith and deaden our faith. As God stays active and alive to even make us feel uncomfortable, guess what? You will grow if you're his. You know what I wonder, crazy enough? The 120,000 is an important number. That's a lot of people in Nineveh. But do you know it could also be said that God caused caused the repentance and used repentance of 120,000 to in turn preserve and grow and make real, alive, and alive the faith of one Jonah? And that in turn, one preserved Jonah would and could in turn bring life and freedom to even more like he has in writing this book or having his story written about, some people believe it was written 200 years later. I've often, until going through this, thought that the story of Jonah was missionally about God reaching here, this, even those evil Ninevites. I have looked at the book of Jonah, you know, passed by in my book on the way, you know, a bigger book of the Bible, right? More important. Just, you know, this is a four page. Just go, Jonah, oh, yeah, the fish and the Ninevites, those evil people getting saved. Yay. I used to think it was about how, wow, even evil Assyrians can get saved. Even the stubborn of heart, right? Even even they can do it. And, And those who are offensive to God, I know when I think about the Ninevites and God's mercy and grace, I always think about the most evil people in the world. But the more I let this sink in, I realize that this book is about God staying with and loving and preserving and caring for even us self righteous people even you stubborn in heart even those that run for him and know him even those who are angry with god Even those who know his grace and poo-poo it for for other people, even those who have fallen in their faith, even in and at a great moment, even for those of us trapped in all our feelings, he is leading us day after day and moment after moment into his freedom where there is joy that has escaped us and peace for our pain we have yet to know. You know what Jesus called Isaiah. Another prophet, a bigger one, bigger book. It's called A Man of Sorrows, acquainted with our grief. Once again, Jonah was better, but not done. And so even Jonah needed God's best. I think that's why the book ends this way. We're still waiting for the final and more perfect Jonah. So God sent Jesus to be our more and most perfect Jonah. The Bible teaches that for the salvation and mercy and deliverance for pain and angry, and those of us all in our feelings who needed the freedom of God's grace and mercy, like Jonah did in anger, Jesus did in love. By being crucified outside of the city walls. Not in the joy of it, but outside on a hill far away is the one who was full of grace and truth and love received and felt God's anger, anger for our sin and anger and pain. He suffered God's sovereign wrath so that we can have his sovereign grace. He suffered God's crushing so we would know his care. Jesus suffered God's forsaking him so that our God would be a constant for those who need to grow in grace. And like Jesus on the third day rose from the grave, my call for you is to come out of your feelings in Jesus' name to let go and be freed from that unforgiveness and hatred just waiting and rotting in your heart, to get up and come, come out of your anger, to come out of your fear, to come out of your lack of mercy, come out of your selfishness and self-centeredness, come into a place of freedom where the joy and appreciation and gratitude and praise for God flows for you. Jesus was killed and died on the outside of repentance and celebration and joy. So you can now go in. So you can now come out of your feelings into the celebration of your own life and the life of others. God wants an ascent to you out of our feelings and through Christ into his freedom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't leave or forsake us. That you just don't crush and punish the pouting and stubborn and angry child. Lord, we do pray for your justice that brings peace. We do pray for righteousness and holiness in and around our lives. We do pray, Lord, for accountability. We do pray for reconciliation in our community. But Lord, we do pray that we do it as those fed by the grace and mercy and love of God. Thank you for being the great caretaker. Lord, I pray for our people. So many of us have been on and in a mountaintop experience. We've done well. But Lord, now we find ourselves at odds with you again, at odds with others again and caught up in our anger at why you would do this or that. Free us. Free us, Lord, only as you take care of us. Free us, Lord, only because Christ came and died for those folk who get stuck in their feelings instead of walking in your freedom.